Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 30. Today we are looking at Luke chapter 3. And this is the third technical day of our progression through the book of Luke. Um, as we walk our way closer and closer to Christmas Day. Uh, ending with Luke 24 and entering into Christmas Day of the 25th. So thanks for joining me, and let's jump in. In chapter 3 of Luke, it starts out with, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Atiria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, um... As we go into that uh, quotation out of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is, this is a verse um, and scripture section speaking of John himself, the Baptist. He is a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And he is the herald uh, that is coming and that came um, as a kind of predecessor of the public ministry of Jesus. He is, he is coming as a voice crying out, preparing the way of the Lord, making his, making his path straight. So this is a prophecy in Isaiah regarding John the Baptist. And the effective ministry of Jesus. And in this, verse 6, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, this isn't just to say they'll see the salvation as in the work of God, but we, but we also can capture in that, in that section this see the salvation of God in the person of Jesus. So these people that are alive 
there in the day would actually be able to lay eyes on the salvation of God in the person of Jesus. Verse 7, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. <laughs> John sure had a way with words, didn't he? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is, this is kind of a, this is imagery. This is um, kind of a parallelism. And John is, is, is telling us, he's telling them that even that moment, the axe or ju God's judgment is, is near the, the root of the trees. Uh, he's telling them that that God's judgment is nearly to the point of of cutting them down completely, fully. When when a, when a plant is taken out by its root, there is no hope for survival or regrowth. It is complete and whole destruction. And so John is telling them, you know, the the God's judgment against you is near and it is and it is nearly completely and all encompassing and so he's warning them every tree that does not bear good fruit it's cut down and it's thrown into the fire because ultimately what good is a tree that produces no good fruit this is a question that we should ask ask ourselves in, in our day-to-day, -day, what kind of fruit are we producing? Is it good fruit? Because good fruit is what God desires. Now, we know Jesus to be the one who would tell the, the, um, the, the owner of the garden, um, let's give the vines, let's give the trees more time and we'll cultivate and and, and fertilize them. And if they don't produce fruit, then we can cut them down. You know, we, we, you know Jesus, we, we don't have much difficulty understanding Jesus as this kind and tender and patient, loving God. Um, but we need not forget that, that God, our, the Father, is, he is, uh, embodied in the person of Jesus. So it's not it's not this good cop bad cop thing uh, that we can so easily get kind of entangled into that thinking that you know God is the father is this angry uh, wrathful uh, creator who is hell bent on judgment and wrath and destruction and Jesus is kind of the the mediator just kind of calming him down a little bit trying to speak you know, some tenderness in and, 
and and uh, kind of urge him along to be patient. Now, this this is not an accurate picture of what uh, what is happening. It, Jesus says, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's a deeply profound reality that we should all constantly remember. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So Jesus, um, sorry, John is telling these, these people who are coming to be baptized by him, that you need to produce good fruit because trees that do not produce good fruit are cut down and thrown into the fire or destroyed. Verse 10, and the crowds asked him, what then should we do? That's a great question, um, <laughs> crowds. It, you know, you hear something like the message that John would give them and and so you may be stirred to the core. What can I do? What is my option? And so what does John tell him? Verse 11, in reply, uh, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. That is, share it. Verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than um, the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. It's important to remember something here that just really came to mind. Um, each person depending on their trade, depending on their profession, when they asked John what should they do, he gave them a very specific uh, command relative to where they were. Notice that the tax collectors, he told, take no more money from them than what you're told to take. He didn't give them the direction of the soldier who he said to not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, be satisfied with your wages. He didn't say that to the tax collector, nor did he tell the tax collector the commandments of the soldier. So it was very specific to where they were, to who they were, and to what was in their paradigm. So I think this is this is definitely something that we should consider when we are giving counsel to uh, to individuals. That uh, it does need to be there is elements of uh, direction that's relative to where they are in life, uh, to the demands that are on on them. So I think that's useful information. And I believe, too, that um, John, John didn't get caught up in, in, in what he was called to do. He didn't, he didn't have an inflated position. 
Uh, you see here they refer to him as teacher. Um, he didn't he didn't command any greater titles or um, just think more lofty of himself than he ought to. Um, so that is something that we should too also apply in our lives is humility. Um, in verse 15 it says, As the people were filled with expectation. Hmm. I wonder what they were filled with expectation of. I think maybe hope, hope of change, hope of something different in their lives, hope of what uh, this proclaimed Messiah could bring into their lives, both in reality and and in in the future. What what would to what would to become? And it says, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. Now, pay close attention to this. This is very fascinating. All were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. A lot of times we... Um, we we attribute John's ministry to one of not kind of lacking in terms of the miraculous. And albeit we don't see anything in his ministry regarding healing um, or the, some more of the outward manifestations of like what we would consider in Pentecost. But this is quite this is quite a miraculous thing too that and and we see it throughout the ministry of Jesus, you know, knowing the thoughts of men's hearts. Because it said if you if you noticed all were questioning in their hearts and John answered all of them. So John knew the the thoughts of their heart. Um, we sometimes, um, have a hard time understanding, reconciling, accepting that God gives gifts to men by his Holy Spirit that would permit those individuals to know the thoughts of people. But, um... We see very clearly here that a man, namely John the Baptist, was given this um, insight. And so this is truly a miraculous thing um, and is, is scriptural and biblical, uh, grounded in, in reality and not some figment. Um, now, we see that John used this to address concerns that they had. And he taught them and explained to them. Uh, John didn't use it to exploit anything, to strong arm or to manipulate. He, he used it to fill in gaps, to bring people to a place of understanding, to bring people to a place of repentance. John's ministry is, is quite um, fantastic because his ministry is one of repentance. 
you know, every revival, if you study, uh, go throughout the history of revivals, uh, throughout what we have documented, you'll find that repentance is marked in, in each revival. And so John the Baptist ministry is marked by a, by a revival, um, of repentance and and hearts turned back towards God. And so John um, goes on to say that he, God, uh, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. Some translations say barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And we were just reading this chapter tonight with our children as we were going through this with them. And uh, as we were, as I was listening to one of our kids read this, uh, I thought on the question when the, it says that he is to gather the wheat into his barn. Now, does does Jesus have a barn? Um, I guess he could, but it's not really the point. Um, ask ourselves what, and this is meant to just, you know, kind of poke your mind. But what could Jesus, or here, um, what's being said, Jesus gathering the wheat into his barn, what what would be this barn? Um, what is its purpose? What is it, what is it meaning? And the chaff will be, it pretty clearly states there, burned with unquenchable fire, will be destroyed. So kind of consider that, think on that. Um, I'd be curious to uh, to hear what you have to to say about what what you think this the barn of Christ might be. Um, so yeah, reach out and uh, let me know what you think about that. Verse eighteen. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him, John the Baptist, because of um, Herod, uh, Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. So John said some um, things about his uh, his dissatisfaction and how Herod had been um, acting, um, taking his brother's wife, just evil things that he had done. So Herod put John in prison and added to these evil things that he had done. Verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, or my beloved son. With you I am very with you I am well pleased. 
you think about that for just a moment and you think about the Holy Spirit descending from heaven in the form of a dove or like a dove, it, you know, it's, it's curious to think why, why a dove, why would, why would the Holy Spirit choose to be embodied like a dove? Well, um, one thing to consider, and I think it is fascinating, and I think the two might be paralleled, but um, when we see the flood occurring and uh, Noah releases uh, birds to check and see whether the uh, environment is suitable for them to leave the ark, the, the last one that he releases um, is a dove and and it brings the the vegetation back and then he releases it once more and and it doesn't return so um, it is interesting uh, that a dove does show up in both its situations or circumstances I think there's something to that, something to ponder. Verse 23, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli. Now just bear with me here. There's quite a number of these um, born of and begets. Um, but it is important not to just glaze through them um, There is a man by the name Eric Ludy, L-U-D-Y. Um, he has a video on YouTube, and it's called the Magic or the Lineage of Majesty, and he does an amazing job on uh, each biblical name carries with it a a definition, a meaning, and as he pieces those together, it it is a description, ultimately, finally, of Jesus himself. And so the lineage of Christ through all of these um, genealogies, it bears this just alarmingly beautiful picture of, of Jesus, a description of Jesus through these names and the meanings of them. So it's, it's a very beautiful thing. And so I, I, it created in me a new a new value for genealogy. So, nevertheless, don't displace through them, but bear with me, and then we'll get to the end of chapter 3. So, Jesus was the son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Melchah, son of Janani, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Maath, son of Mattathias, son of Simeon, son of Josek, son of Jodah, son of Joannanan, son of Resa, son of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adai, son of Kosum, son of Elmadam, son of Ur, Son of Joshua, son of Eleazar, son of Joram, son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, 
son of Jonam, son of Eliakim, son of Mele, son of Mina, son of Mattatha, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jos Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salah, son of Nashon, son of Aminadab, son of Admin, son of Arni, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Reu, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxed, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalalel, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. So there's a lot of sons. <laughs> and uh, one thing, though, at the end, kind of in conclusion, that I want to point out, and I think it's very, it's a beautiful picture. Well, we know that uh, Jesus himself was the Son of God. Jesus called the Son of God. We also see in this genealogy that son of Adam um, was Seth, but Adam was the Son of God. God created Adam. And we know that Jesus often called the last Adam. Um, both Adam and Jesus called Son of God. Now we do know what what Adam is responsible for. He's he's uh, responsible for the uh, introduction of sin into the world through disobedience. And as a son of God, as Adam, he forfeited right sonship, and Jesus came. And he brought grace and truth. And he reestablished sonship. Because Adam, what he forfeited through sin and dysfunction, Jesus came and brought grace and truth. So we see Adam as the first son of God in, in human speaking terms. And Jesus, the last Adam. Sometimes people call it the second Adam, but... Um, really, he came to complete and perfect that which had been forfeited and um, allowed to be dysfunctioned through Adam. So, that ends chapter 3 of Luke. Um, and I hope that God takes his word and multiplies it in uh, both passion and desire for you. And I thank you for taking the time to Join me on this, and we will look forward to Luke chapter 4 tomorrow. Uh, thank you, and until next time, God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for